Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 26th of March, 2023, 11 o'clock service. Ruth Henson speaking in the series, Parables in Mark, The Rich Man and Lazarus. So, as Katie said, we're continuing our series studying the parables Jesus told as recounted in Luke. As we've heard over the previous weeks, Parables are stories with meaning, which can help Jesus' followers to learn more about him and about how we are challenged to live in response to the example he set us. Stories are a great way to illustrate or teach a lesson or application. If I ever have a particularly challenging point I feel God is calling me to make in a sermon, I try to find or think of a story to carry that point home because you can say something far more hard-hitting through the means of a story than you can otherwise. But the interesting thing is that Jesus doesn't always want the meaning or challenge to be obvious. He is speaking to those who have ears which are open to hear and respond but he chooses to hide the truths from those whose purpose is to trick him or catch him out. As he says in Luke 8, verse 10, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. For every person listening to the stories Jesus tells with a desire to follow him, there were others with their own agendas, such as the Pharisees, who were keeping a watchful eye on Jesus to catch him out in something he might say. They were jealous and fearful of the following he was building and were looking for a way to get rid of him. Imagine being a junior Pharisee sent to spy on Jesus and then having to report back to your superiors with what you've heard. Good, you're back. What did he say? Well, he said there was this runaway son who wasted a lot of money but eventually came home to his father. Hmm, what else did you hear? He told a story about a vineyard owner whose tenants wouldn't pay their rent and a man who woke his neighbour up in the middle of the night. Okay, but what did he teach? He talked about a farmer whose seeds were eaten by birds and choked by weeds. This is useless. We wanted you to record what he taught. Did I mention he told about a woman that lost one of her ten coins and spent the rest of the day cleaning her house? When she found it, she threw a party. Never mind. There was life-changing truth in Jesus' stories for those who actually wanted to hear it. But those looking to catch Jesus out would more often walk away scratching their heads. But surely... The Pharisees must have grasped at least the general gist of the parable we are looking at today, even if the full truth might have eluded them. It falls at the end of a run of three parables which have money-related lessons to teach, 
And if that recurring theme wasn't enough of a hint, this is what happens when Jesus speaks to the gathered Pharisees in between the parable Katie expounded last week about the shrewd manager and today's passage about the rich man and Lazarus. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Now, before we look more closely at the parable to see what Jesus wanted to teach the Pharisees and in turn us, we must address the elephant in the room. The last time I was stood here preaching, exactly a month ago, my passage was Jesus' teaching on the sheep and the goats, which concluded our series on outsiders coming to God. Those who were here might remember that the sheep and the goats in that passage are separated and destined for heaven or hell, depending on the way they have treated the marginalised outsiders, which reveals whether they are followers of Jesus' sacrificially loving way of living or not. In that sermon, I purposely avoided focusing on heaven and hell, rather looking for the practical lessons and applications we could find. I even made the point that we have days when we're more sheep-like and days when we're more goat-like. In the lounge afterwards, a few people commented to me that I'd avoided the fire and brimstone, hell and damnation route. And I agreed, because that was a conscious decision. As the pastor who I quoted at the end of that talk made the point, rather than worrying about where we will spend eternity based on that passage, we can instead learn more about how to bring further glimpses of heaven right now into the lives of those we encounter and can lessen the current hell of those who are suffering by the way we live out God's calling to share his love, light, and help with all. I'm not sure whether I should be worried that Stephen is trying to tell me something, but there are definite parallels in today's passage too. We hear of the rich man's lack of loving compassion resulting in him ending up in fiery torment while the poor man is welcomed into heaven. And, just as I avoided the fire and brimstone, hell and damnation route in my last talk, that's again not what I feel we should be focusing on today either. Certainly, the context of eternal consequences shows us how seriously Jesus wants us to take this topic and challenge. But let's focus on the way the parable challenges us to share God's love with others having experienced it for ourselves, rather than motivating ourselves to act out of fear of fiery torment. So we better take a closer look at the parable to see where we are to be challenged. And throughout the passage, we see that it is full of contrasts between the two protagonists. Immediately, in the opening verses, the contrasting scene is set. 
The rich man is described as clothed in purple and fine linen, which straightaway marks him out as wealthy and privileged, because these were two of the most expensive materials it was possible to own at that time, due to the production processes involved and extravagant resources required. And what of the beggar, Lazarus? What do we hear of his attire? Well, in terms of clothing, we hear nothing. But there is a covering we are told about, a covering of sores. This poor man, on top of being destitute and desperate, is afflicted with the outward signs of the squalor and poverty he is forced to live in. That's quite the contrast. But it doesn't stop there, because Jesus also paints a picture of their vastly different fortunes in terms of food and lifestyle. The phrase we see in the NIV as lived in luxury every day can also be translated feasted sumptuously every day or celebrated ostentatiously every day. Jesus has specifically chosen the past continuous form of the verb to show that this is an ongoing situation for the rich man. He's well and long accustomed to this extravagant lifestyle. But what about Lazarus? What is his experience? Well, he can only dream of the luxuries the rich man takes for granted. And in fact, he is described as longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Just the crumbs that the rich man wouldn't even notice he'd missed out on would make a huge difference to the beggar's desperation. And rather than living in luxury or feasting or celebrating or however we might describe the extravagant way of life of the rich man, the situation of Lazarus is painted with details of abject misery and helplessness. By saying Lazarus was laid at the gate of the rich man, Jesus is most likely insinuating that the poor man was disabled or paralysed and had been carried by others to this prime begging position. He was thus reliant on the handouts of others in an age before welfare systems and benefits. They would have chosen the gate of such a wealthy individual in the hope of Lazarus receiving mercy and compassion out of the bounteous riches of not only the rich man himself, but also the guests who would pass by as they visited. Yet, we are told nothing of human attention he received. Rather, we only hear of dogs coming to lick his wounds. And he doesn't even have the strength or mobility to stop this unhygienic ministration from taking place. Jesus has vividly painted a picture of complete contrast. A poor, hurting, hungry, lonely man lying at the gate of a rich, cosseted, extravagant man. The former apparently receiving no help at all from the latter, despite having been purposefully laid at his gate where he would have walked past him whenever he came and went.
And as we will see in Act 2 of the parable, the contrasting fortunes continue after their respective deaths too, but with a complete reversal of fortune. As Act 2 begins, we see Lazarus once again transported, but this time not by well-wishers to the gate of a rich man's property, but rather by angels to a place of honour in heaven at the side of Abraham. In contrast, the rich man is to be found far away in Hades, in a place of fiery torment. Lazarus had spent his earthly existence as an outsider, separated from the apparent fullness of the rich man's life, on the wrong side of the gate. But now he is welcomed in, right into the place of honour, and able to experience all of the good things and fullness of life, which are the hallmark of God's eternal kingdom. It doesn't seem as though this reversal of fortunes has taught the rich man much, as he is quick to suggest to Abraham that Lazarus should be sent to cool his mouth with water against the heat of the fire. He still feels superior to Lazarus, and that the former beggar should be willing to do his bidding. He expects to receive the mercy he never even thought of showing to the poor and desperate man at his gate. But Abraham is quick to point out the error in the rich man's thinking. He reminds him that he chose to devote his earthly life to amassing and enjoying the good things of the world without a thought or care for those less fortunate, whereas Lazarus endured the bad things of the world whilst maintaining faith and hope in the redeeming love and justice of God. His name is the biggest clue to this attitude, as Lazarus means God has helped, alluding to the fact that the poor man maintained his trust in God's salvation and rescue in spite of the circumstances he was having to endure. Realising that he's getting nowhere with his first request, the rich man turns his attention to someone else for a change, as he asks for Lazarus to be sent to his family so that his five brothers will have a chance to repent and live as God wants, thus avoiding the torment he is currently suffering. But even in this moment of outward looking and compassion, there is still implied criticism of God and those the rich man lived amongst, because reading between the lines, he is meaning that he didn't receive enough of a warning to repent, so he doesn't want the same to be true for his siblings. He therefore feels that God should send them the biggest wake-up call in the form of the resurrected Lazarus, and even has the audacity to argue with Abraham about it. But Abraham is having none of it, stating that if someone won't pay attention to the clear message in the scriptures, then they wouldn't even be convinced if someone rises from the dead. Clearly, in including that element of the story, Jesus is predicting how his own resurrection will be ignored or disbelieved or explained away 
by so many throughout the ages. So, that is the end of the story. And as I said earlier, surely the Pharisees can't have failed to grasp at least some of the warning Jesus had for them about their love of money and failure to show God's love and compassion. But what about us? What further meaning or applications might we need to hear? Pretty obviously, and as we recently spent a couple of months considering in our Outsiders Come to God series, God loves those who are on the outside, those who are marginalised, those who are rejected, those who are desperate and at rock bottom. And if God loves them, and if we are children of our Heavenly Father seeking to follow in his footsteps, then we will also love them, welcome them, help them, care for them, serve them, and seek justice for them. Once again, we have the challenge to consider who the outsiders are for us in New Malden in 2023, and how we are going to ensure they aren't abandoned at the gates while we live our comfortable lives on the inside. Just as when we studied the story of the sheep and the goats a month ago, and I said we had days when we were more goat-like and days when we were more sheepy, I think this is another story where we can relate to the different characters at different times in our lives. Sometimes we are like the rich man, so wrapped up in our comfortable existences that we have no thought for the needs of others, even when they should be obvious and unavoidable. And sometimes we are like the rich man's five brothers, needing to receive a wake-up call to jolt us into action. As we approach Easter and once again reflect on the monumental sacrifice of Jesus and his awesome resurrection, will that be enough to inspire and motivate us into the loving service that should be our response? Or will Abraham's words be true of us too, when he says that even a resurrection would not be sufficient to result in the change needed. And there may be times when we will feel like Lazarus, on the outside and helpless to receive the support and care that we need. May we then, like him, be enabled to remain hopeful and faithful remembering that God has helped us and will continue to do so through the ministering of his church when they respond to his calling and prompting. Throughout this parable, the theme of separation and division is a constant. The rich man's gate separates him from Lazarus in Act 1 and a vast chasm separates the two of them in Act 2. If we are not careful, the gates we put up around us can turn into chasms too. We must examine our hearts to look for the gates that separate us from our neighbours 
our colleagues, our families, our brothers and sisters in the church, and ultimately from God. Fear, anger, greed, pride, prejudice, busyness, indifference, apathy, envy, resentment. The list of potential gates could go on and on. But gates can be opened as well as closed. They can be a means of welcome instead of exclusion. Every time we love our neighbour as ourselves, every time we love our enemies, every time we see and treat one another as those created in the image and likeness of God, gates are opened. Jesus, who listed, I am the gate, amongst his many I am sayings, demonstrated this gate opening in his life, death and resurrection, as his love, mercy and grace broke down barriers and opened the way into his kingdom, into his very presence. May we ask him to help us to be gate openers in the week ahead. Amen.